0: the estimates that I'm seeing from the regional papers are a lot higher than 17%. They could be anywhere as low as 30% and anywhere as high as 50%. So uh, the Porsche kit is kind of important because it's I think it's a good representation of the, uh, of the basket uh, grocery basics. Uh, of course, it's not a good representation of the entire uh, consumer price index uh, because it doesn't include many other, other necessities. Um, but ultimately, if you've got groceries going up by almost fifty percent, it's probably the overall index is probably not seventeen percent. It's probably higher than that.
1: Thank you, uh, Alex and Maddie. So I want to be uh, respectful of Maddie's time here. So we got a uh, quite a few hands to get through. So uh, I would just ask everyone, uh, please, uh, you know, ask a question. Try to try to make it a little quick to the point. Uh, so because Maddie gives very thorough, uh, wonderful answers. So uh, uh, Auntie, go ahead.
2: Thank you. So. Uh... Uh, one of the in- interesting things that's uh, related to, of the many small and uh, big ways that this is affecting Russia is that you, you probably uh, read the news piece about the new
0: 100-ruble uh, bill. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> would you would you like to share that? Sure. So the Russians introduced a uh, new uh, ruble bill for uh, the, the 100 rubles. But unfortunately, they will probably have to roll that back were not introduced that altogether because their local ATMs or bag machines are not equipped to read and uh, distribute that new um, bill you know, because it's a it's a new design and the reason why they they cannot re-equip their ATM machines because they are sanctioned so that's uh, that's that's a short story. And was it also the cash
2: registers that
0: were unable to utilize them as well? Uh, cash registers are a bit different. Uh, I, I've seen some uh, articles mentioning them, but uh, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Uh, the ATMs are probably the biggest deal. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Auntie. Uh,
1: so next we have Michelle. Michelle, go ahead.
3: Hi, guys. Um, this is more of a, um, a comment on the previous. Um, uh, topic of uh, South Africa and Russia trying to do some silly financial thing. Um, As you can tell from my accent, I am South African. um, And I cannot conceive of any benefit to Russia from joining up with South Africa. And I'm actually really like a bit upset to hear about that. I don't live in South Africa anymore. I'm in the UK, but my family are all still in Cape Town um so i'm kind of horrified at the thought of south africa joining up with russia but south african economy is is catastrophic at the moment they are right now they are um they are on what's called level three, um, they call it load shedding, but it's um, rolling blackouts. So they schedule electricity blackouts um, throughout the day. And currently there are three blackouts a day for a number of hours at a time. So the entire country is unable to have a a steady, reliable electricity delivery. Um, And I think it's basically down to um, corruption but um yeah i i'm flabbergasted that russia thinks that they can benefit in any way financially from south africa unless it is to somehow extract what little money is left in south africa out of it um which again fills me with horror for my family um and everyone there but yeah i just when south africa came up i thought i'd kind of give my five cents worth thank you
1: thank you michelle Uh, maddie any uh comments about the scheduled rolling blackouts of south africa (laughs)
3: No,
0: not really. But yeah, as I mentioned, I don't know South Africa that well. Thank you, Michelle. I did not know about those rolling blackouts. Uh, the only the only things that I know about South Africa is just uh, macro indicators, because I, I keep following the G20 indicators, and I consistently been seeing for the past two years that South Africa has not been doing well. That's why I mentioned it's the worst-performing economy.
3: Yeah, it's a disaster. It's a mess right now. Um, but yeah, anyway, so
4: I just thought I'd add that. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you. And next we go to Gigi. Uh, Gigi, go
4: ahead. Hello. Hi, Maddie. I'm so impressed. I looked at last time you were speaking. I was looking at that hundred faces, the new faces of Kazakhstan, and I just was so impressed. So I was reading last night before I went to bed about uh, it. It looks very bloody in this part of Uzbekistan. And I just read something about the young people They somehow they're looking at no jobs, they usually get farmed out to Russia for low paying jobs and their families at home rely on that money. So I don't know if you could quickly address that. I don't think you mentioned it. And thank you so much.
0: Yeah, uh, extremely valid point. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, In Central Asia, multiple countries rely on remissions coming from Russia. Uh, I think Joseph and I discussed it in one of the spaces in the past on the Walter reports. Uh, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan tend to send a lot of their uh, men, and it's primarily men, uh, to to Russia to work uh, various jobs, primarily in construction as uh, laborers, and uh, they send the money back to to their families back in their home countries. So, given that the Russian construction sector is pretty much gone by now, the the entire construction sector went into a full freeze on. I think on week two of the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, because simply because they no longer have access to the Western uh, construction materials, most of those uh, um, young men from Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan had to go back. Um, of course, it's going to pr- uh, create a lot of economic pressures in terms of increased unemployment rates and lower uh, income levels overall in the country because, again, those remissions are not coming in. But um, overall when it comes to the protests within uh, Uzbekistan, I don't think it was a major factor. Uh, of course, uh, Uzbekistan is not a rich country. Uh, the uh, the average GDP or average disposable income was very low. Um, it's a lot lower than in the neighboring Kazakhstan, for example. Uh, but ultimately, it's uh, it might play a factor in the future, but as of now, it was not the primary cause for the for the unrest because it's uh, limited to a very specific region of the country, which is Karakal, Pakistan. Um, and Karakal Pakistan within Uzbekistan itself is also not that wealthy either and it's primarily driven by the fact that it's uh, less densely populated and most of the region is not exactly habitable uh, because of the uh, desert terrain. Um, might it play a role in in the future unrest? Uh, it's, as of now, it's kind of hard to predict uh, if, uh, if the local authorities not just in Uzbekistan do not address the issue of Increased unemployment and decreased uh, a wealth, average wealth of the population and might play a role. But given that the region, let's be honest, real, in the, in realistically in the past 100 or so years never had a democracy, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't hold my hopes up.
4: Okay, thank you. It just seemed like maybe these young people have nothing left to lose if it's going to seem desperate and more desperate. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Gigi. Thank you, Maddie. And uh, up next, we have Movie Buff. Movie Buff, go ahead.
5: Good morning, um, Maddie. Always nice to hear from you. Um, do you. Where do you live? Do you live? Where do you live right now?
0: London.
4: Okay. And where are you from originally?
0: Kazakhstan. I lived in oh. the States for 12 years.
4: I was going to say you have a tiny bit of an accent, but as for, I was going to just mention the uh, hockey
5: player that we were talking about, um, the goalie. He um, is actually hospitalized now after detainment. So um that that's a little i wonder what his health is like now that he's been detained uh have you heard anything
0: no not really i'll i'll check a bit later i can dm you later if you're interested
5: also uh, i i just sorry one more thing i just found um ukraine it says ukraine updates on twitter and it's actually a movie Hey, hang on movie i'm sorry Sorry. we're having a great uh, rational panel discussion here with Maddie. And oh, he's sorry, uh, I'm out. doing a great dismantling here. Yeah, thank thank you. Sorry, okay, I just want uh, to keep it unfocused. No, it's, it's, it's fine.
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't know.
1: Okay, uh, so uh, we'll maybe start uh, wrapping it up. We've, uh, Maddie's been very generous with his time, but uh, I think Alex maybe had uh, something else he wanted to add. Uh, Alex, you have a question for Maddie? Go ahead. No, not
6: for Maddie. It was about that
1: player, uh, but um yeah, just
6: one sentence real quick. This is not about hockey, guys. It's about Russia is closing borders. It will. Uh, right now, they have a list of people who cannot leave the country. And uh, even though hockey is not there, they just decided to add kind of prominent names uh, to that list. That's why, by the way, from hospital, he was sent to military unit where he will do military service so that's
1: kind of at least that's that was the information just a real quick update thank you alex uh gurney go ahead
5: yeah hey i just wanted to thank you maddie personally um for the for the discussion i i find it informative i, I find you to add to the panel um and i just wanted to say thanks for that because you really bring a you bring a rational discussion um you dispel with the emotional arguments that that make such strong appeals to people and distract um and i find these discussions so informative um and, and they're just and they're just wonderful um because the, the russians tend to operate on emotion they like to pull people in that can distract us with their emotional pleas um, and things that don't matter and you really cut to the heart of it without including any of that in your discussions and yet it's still so informative and still uh proactive in terms of, uh, you know, setting the context and, and setting the dialogue for exactly what we're, we're doing in this room. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Gurney. I just wanted to add a quick comment to Alex. Yes, Alex is absolutely right. Uh, the Russians are actively uh, trying to close down their country because as soon as the full-scale invasion of Ukraine started by the Russians, many Russians started leaving the country. Uh, they produced official estimates of the outflow or net immigration out of the country um, there were in the millions i won't quote you in the number because i don't remember what it is but it was very high it was more than three million people uh, of course it included uh, 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 influx that have uh, incoming and ac- uh, goings uh even before the invasion so everything that happened before february 24th uh but uh, if you compare it against a net immigration uh, as of last year it's it's impressively higher, it's uh, orders of magnitude higher. Um, the Russians indeed do have a list of people that are trying uh, They're trying to actively uh, ensure that they remain within the country. They frequently ask people to uh, present their return tickets uh, when they're trying to uh, leave the country. So they wanna make sure that people do come back. Um, and on top of that, they're actively trying to ensure that no IT specialists specifically i.t specialists leave the country um, of course it's all based on anecdotal evidence that I've seen I haven't seen thorough investigations by journalists saying uh that many that many i.t specialists were detained at the border and they were not let out but there are multiple anecdotes coming through saying such and such i.t specialists tried to go for a vacation or tried to leave the country and as soon as the border guards realized that what kind of specialty the person had they were they were prohibited from leaving the country so this to so suggest uh yeah, so it's not a, it doesn't paint an overall picture, but it definitely gives at least some insight as to what the Russians are doing within their own country.
1: Thank you, Maddie. So I think uh, John actually wanted to come up and ask you a question about emigration uh, specifically. So uh, I'm going to let John uh, take the floor real quick as soon as he connects. John, you there? Go ahead. Yep, hear you loud and clear. Thank you, Joseph. Maddie, it's great to have you on again. Uh, welcome back. I just wanted to ask you a a
6: question regarding uh, immigration and potential brain drain. I've seen a number of people, you know, Camille Galeev among others, you know, advocating that we should be, you know, we in the West should be pursuing policies that exacerbate the current brain drain and immigration from Russia of the educated individuals that we're currently seeing. What I want to get your thoughts on, you know, there's two ways to approach that. You know, we can either try and directly, you know, entice, you know, the immigration of educated Russians to the West, to Europe, to the United States, to Canada, or we could try to entice their immigration to third, you know, to other third countries, you know, Kazakhstan, you know, a number of the Central Asian states, you know, and there's a variety of others. Which do you think is, you know, probably a better way to look at this? Should we be trying to, you know, in entice brain drain to ourselves or to other third countries. Because I know that there's some, you know, reservations about allowing, you know, large numbers of Russian immigrants, given the many things we've discussed about Russian culture and imperialism, et cetera. Um, You know, I I imagine that the Poles, the Lithuanians, Latvians, Estonians, you know, et cetera, are not keen to have sudden large numbers of Russian immigrants for understandable reasons.
0: Yeah, uh you raise a valid concern which is a security concern because we've seen the Russian state uh actively use the the uh, the local population of ethnic Russians in their neighboring countries as a as a weapon as, as a propaganda weapon as a as a casus belli so uh, given that I I myself I am from Kazakhstan I would argue against uh against increased immigration of Russian specialists into Kazakhstan uh, it's There's actually a bit of a debate happening within Kazakhstan as well of, uh, in various circles where people say it's actually good that uh, Russian IT specialists are coming into the country because they will boost our economy. Um, and that's a valid argument, but it presents a, a significant security risk as well because you cannot check every single person who's coming in um, because potentially many of the... Uh, FSB agents could be coming coming through. <laughs> of course, it sounds like a speculation right now, but uh, it's just my sneaking suspicion. In terms of brain drain, it's actually already actively happening into the neighboring countries, including Kazakhstan. We've seen a significant increase in uh, uh, Russian nationals uh, applying for permanent residence or work, work permits in Kazakhstan. Uh, the same is uh, true for Georgia. The same is true for Armenia. Um, the same is probably true for some Baltic states, uh, though the immigration laws there are a lot stricter, and I think they've introduced significant restrictions uh, not so long ago. Um, And yeah, I I agree with uh, Galeev. Eventually um, draining the Russian Federation from uh, the required talent to prop up their economy is going to be one of the tools to undermine the entire state. Um, Not because we're so russophobic and we want to destroy russia but simply because it will cripple their economy and it will destroy their ability eventually it's going to be one of the tools to destroy their ability to wage war against their neighbors um whether it should be done through third uh, third party countries or through primarily uh countries like the united states we have to think of uh, intelligence capabilities of the of the prospective countries when it comes to a country like the united states going to be a lot easier to monitor and check everyone who's coming into the country um the united states also has uh no common borders with russia the united states has a very powerful military so but it also presents a potential of internal uh destabilization through uh covert agents uh, much like it was done through the illegals um during the cold war era so again everyone would need to be thoroughly vetted and checked something I believe the United States can do, something the UK, I believe, can do, but something what is possibly not doable for a country like Kazakhstan, Georgia, or Armenia. So it's kind of, I I find it difficult to argue uh, for a proposition that would offer um, massive brain drain into the neighboring countries because it's a massive security risk. Thank you, Maddie I completely get Thank your you.
6: point uh, about... Oh, sorry, Joseph, I was just going to say... You know, no, go ahead. I was just going to ask John if you had a follow-up. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, Marty, I completely get your concern, get get what you say about this is, you know, a much more serious concern for countries that share a border with Russia, and it's less of a concern, you know, for countries such as the U.S., you know, unless all these Russians start moving to Alaska, in which case we might want to be a little bit worried, but uh, you know, so I, I, get, I 100%, um, you know, under, get what you're saying. Thank you so
1: Thank you, John, and uh thank you, Maddie. So I think uh we'll maybe uh open the floor to uh, maybe one last round of questions. If anyone has any final questions for Maddie, then we'll maybe let Maddie wrap it up and uh we'll we'll let him go because we've taken so much of his time. Uh any last questions for Maddie? Okay, Maddie, do you have any uh concluding remarks? Do you have any questions you thought we we didn't ask but we should have, or any, any uh final observations, tie something together, uh finish it off, Maddie.
0: Sure. Just to wrap up uh... The situation in Uzbekistan is definitely concerning uh, because innocent civilians are dying. Um, ultimately, as of now, from what I've seen, I do not believe that Russia is 100% responsible for the mess. Uh, but uh, the mess was caused uh, simply because the local Uzbek authorities tried to prevent uh, and try to eliminate a whenever opportunity that the Russians could exploit So, indirectly. I still believe it's their fault. So I, it might be an emotional statement, but uh, given given the context of aggressive Russian rhetoric uh, directed at uh, Uzbekistan over the past few years, it's uh, it's not a difficult conclusion to come to. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all I had. If nobody has any other questions, I'll drop down to the listener.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Sorry, Mike. Uh, thanks again for your time, Matty. We really do appreciate it, and uh, we hope to hear again from you soon. Uh, yeah, we do appreciate you coming back. You're welcome anytime, for sure. Thank you,
0: Joseph. It was a pleasure.
1: Okay, we've got uh, Slava Ukraini coming up, so I will let Slava have the floor as soon as he connects. Slava, are you there? Go ahead. Slava, go ahead. Are you there, Slava?
5: Uh, Slava Ukraini.
1: Here I am, Slava.
5: Oh, yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, yes, on the topic of the Russia... I mm, uh, heard from the real Russians who st- who still live in the russia and and the story here is is that um sanction go- not gonna hit a uh, real Russian uh, pretty soon because uh, like say in the um, Moscow in the Peter, uh, Peter Saint Petersburg it's a pretty um, well city and they will not, Uh, feel these sanctions but in the future it's gonna be feel bad so uh, i think you get it because i have trouble with twitter so i'm sorry
1: no problem slava you know my my, i've been hosting for a while my phone i think is its wit's end it's like uh (laughs) it's not cooperating with me very much i have to like move my my uh finger on it multiple times to get it to do like one thing but uh, anyway, yeah, Twitter problems, uh, technological problems. Uh, so, yeah, we, we just had a, a great discussion with Maddie about uh, the situation in Uzbekistan and also just kind of the situation of the Russian economy. I got birds everywhere, man. Uh, I'm kind of getting to the end of my hosting time here. Uh, I don't know, Gurney, uh, do you think it's possible that you or Axel could take over?
5: I could. I'm, I'm all yeah, I could certainly stay on here as speaker. I've got to go in a little bit here, but uh, if John's around too, but I can certainly stick around to uh, to watch over the transition.
1: John, uh, you think you can take over as co-host? Yep, I woke up about two hours ago. I've had my my bagel, cream cheese, and coffee, so I'm good to go. What kind of bagel is it? It is an egg. It is an egg everything bagel. Everything, but that sounds like a mess, doesn't it? Doesn't it get everywhere? It's not. I mean, just eat it on a plate. It's not that bad.
5: Here's a trick. Have you tried to ever eat one of those upside down? I find if I eat it upside down, it's actually less messy. Yeah,
6: yeah I do that. Yeah, I do that sometimes. Sometimes I eat it like sideways. Um, I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. It's very frustrating because it's very difficult to find egg bagels anywhere. Not that many places make them, but I found one place that's close to my house that makes just the most amazing bagels. It's, it's fantastic.
5: Okay, uh, Mike Chen. I'm clear Gary. okay so John just to bring you up to speed here we just had a wonderful panel discussion with um, with Maddie um, which you caught the end of there uh, but that was just uh, there was a before that happened there was some uh, there was some discussion of uh, Uzbekistan in the news and I think we uh, addressed Maddie addressed everything wonderfully um, and before that there were just some general questions about the uh, the missile strikes overnight but that's about the recap uh, in my head of, of the last uh, few hours of discussion that sounds wonderful.
6: Um, one thing that, uh, so regarding the missile strikes, uh, cause that was what I was, tr- the reason I stayed up as late last night co-hosting was because of the missile strikes. Uh, so I'm very curious. So, um, in Melita it seems like pretty cut and dry at this point that there were um, the reports I'm seeing indicate around 30 strikes combination of high Mars and sabotage, you know, from units on the ground. Um, Belgorod is still unclear, last I heard, um, unless you have some news there, Gurney. I know the Russians were claiming it was a tochka-u. I know Portland's, the math that Portland did indicated that the the terminal descent velocity that he estimated based upon doing some forensics uh, with the video indicated a descent velocity of somewhere in the range of Mach 2 to Mach 2.5 toshka has a known descent velocity of like Mach 5 to 5.5. So he had kind of ruled that out based upon that. Obviously, you know, the video could not necessarily be the fantastic, you know, if you plug in junk, you get junk out, you know, in terms of math and forensics tools. Um, but I was curious if there's anything there. And for Kursk, I, I, the, the governor of the Oblast claimed that two Ukrainian drones had been intercepted, and they released alleged photos. I took a look at some of them. The first, the second one I couldn't make out because it was just so mangled. The first one was uh, TU-141, um, which the Ukrainians are known to have. Uh, I was curious if they were using that as a loitering munition to hit uh, some, you know, targeting court.
5: Yeah, I think it's un- unclear at the moment. And and personally, I'm just going to hang fire on this uh, only because uh, <laughs> there, there's there's some complexities yet to be seen here um and and i don't want to um go overboard with it and then in hindsight have uh you know have something something happen here there's just there's a, there's a lot at play with that um and i think the information is going to slowly trickle out and we'll we'll get some more um but so far just you know there's there's the usual um conflicting statements so nothing more i can really add, add value to there gentlemen. well
6: i appreciate uh you know you uh you keeping an eye on things uh one thing, joseph just uh message me about and to remind me of. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that uh, Maria Aid is currently doing a a focused fundraising effort to raise contributions for approximately 1,000 combat application tourniquets to be sent to uh, frontline Ukrainian units who are in great need of them. Um, We are fairly close to reaching our goal. As of last night, when I logged out, we were about 4800 United States dollars away. I don't know what we are at right now, um, but, you know, every little bit helps for trying to hit, I believe, 30,000 for um, 1,000 tourniquets by the end of the the long weekend, uh, the July 4th weekend, uh, at least here in the U.S. anyways. Um, So if you are within your uh, means, I would encourage everybody who is able to please consider contributing um, to this effort. Your money will quite literally help save lives of Ukrainian soldiers. tourniquets are an absolutely critical piece of uh battlefield medical kit it's it's absolutely vital um, I'm not sure for those of you who were on last night and heard what Portland had to say as someone who's previously worked as you know a combat medic tourniquets are absolutely vital. I know speaking from personal experience you know both my parents worked in medicine and my my father was a um uh, corpsman in the United States Navy. Uh, you know, I, I've heard from them just the, you know, how traumatizing it is, you know, from, you know, a medical professional perspective to have a patient, you know, either in civilian, either in a civilian setting or in a military setting to have, you know, a patient, someone that you're supposed to care for, you know, essentially die in front of you. It is
5: horrifically traumatic. Um, so. And John, could I, could I I elaborate on that, on the tourniquet, the, the, the aspect of the tourniquets they're providing? Please go ahead so maybe this has been remarked upon um in the past you know so tourniquets are, are not new per se right they've been around for a while um but the the tourniquets that maria aid is uh is is trying to deliver to the ukrainians and, and has in the past uh they're, they're great tourniquets because they're sort of evolutionary they're, they're not new new so to speak um but they're relatively new uh, in the modern landscape you know the last 15 20, 20 years or so uh because what, what makes them great um, isn't just the fact that it's a tourniquet you know it's a reliable strong tourniquet, but what makes them them great is actually the fact that you can self apply these um, so if you go through the the drills to apply a tourniquet it's actually quite difficult it seems seems very simple um, to do and, and i can't imagine what that would be like if you were actually um, in shock and in pain and, 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 losing, uh, you know, volumes and volumes of blood, um, and attempting to do this, but before you pass out, before your time limited. So, so the wonderful thing about these tourniquets, um, is actually that depending on, on, um, the extremity and how you do this, they're one handed. You'll see, if anyone's looked at the picture of them, it, it might not make sense. There's a little, there's a built-in bar, there's a there's a built in strong bar and it's anchored very firmly um, with, with very strong fabric so you can uh, get leverage, but you twist it. So if this was a if you saw a tourniquet in a Russian aid kit, it might just look like, um, you know, a leather belt or leather band um, and and even if you thought in your head, okay, well, if I just took a belt and yanked it down as hard as you could to apply leverage, that that takes a lot of force by you, and that still doesn't apply the the force necessary to to pinch off, say, a femoral femoral artery, right? So these things are great because um, it's it's useful, of course, for for someone responding. Um, you know, if it's if it's buddy aid, if someone's responding with these tourniquets, they can certainly be used that way. There's nothing stopping that. But it's great because. If you're the individual carrying this, um, you can, you know, if, if you can, you can apply the tourniquet around the extremity and you can start to, uh, apply leverage yourself just by twisting motion. And it doesn't take much because you're just, you're leveraging that force. Each little twist keeps clamping it down. So, um, not revolutionary, but it's just a, a much nicer version of the tourniquet. And that saves lives because the quicker you can apply that, even if the person doing it gets it halfway on themselves and then, um, A buddy rescue happens and someone else um continues to anchor the tourniquet and get it situated um you know that's that's critical whether it's 30 seconds 15 seconds extra two minutes extra right uh that's the difference between uh the time it takes for someone to bleed out from from an arterial wound like that so i thought i'd mention that because they're they're high quality tourniquets um and they're going to save lives thank you gary for that explanation it's really
6: appreciated um so yes i would please encourage everybody to contribute You will help save lives of Ukrainian frontline defenders. It's absolutely vital effort. Uh, Use your brain, please go ahead. Uh, Use your brain. Can you hear us?
7: Oh, sorry, I forgot to unmute you. I mute unmute myself. So uh, okay. So first, I want to say to everybody, just go donate for these tourniquets. They will be life-saving, and they are extremely important for battlefields. But just for because there are many people here because the fact that they are important on battlefields doesn't mean that tourniquets are as important for peacetime, so for peacetime uh, peacetime, uh, first aid. So just wanted to stress that so people here who are listening don't think that they should have tourniquets because I heard people saying that they have tourniquets in their cars and everything. It's completely different because if uh, you apply tourniquet in, in some uh, accident and you can reach medical help quickly in normal, you can, in, in I mean, you had a car accident or something, and you apply tourniquet, you could damage your limb. So that's the only thing that I wanted to stress, that it's a completely different setting and the completely different situation when we compare these two. Only that.
5: Thanks, you. and just to, just to drill down to that. So, so could, are, you're talking about the difference between a tourniquet someone may may think they have for peacetime use versus this. Is that the distinction? No,
7: no, or? not not just that, but just use of tourniquets. Tourniquets are super important for 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 wartime and for battlefield. Tourniquets, even safety pins are. Safety pin is probably the most important battle medical piece of equipment. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that. People should have tourniquets and then start applying it themselves if they are having accidents or something in peacetime. Only that's what I wanted to say. Because if you apply tourniquet if you didn't need to, just because you were in an accident, you could really lose your limb because you stop blood flow through limb.
5: Yeah, thank you. Very, very good point. And and when these. Um, when these tourniquets are handed out, one of the great things uh, that we saw very early on uh, was trainers uh, giving the basics of the training uh, on how to use the tourniquets and, and, and when to use the tourniquets um, and the why. And, and, and great pointing out there, right? The tourniquet uh, is is in and of itself a very destructive device. However, in a battlefield situation under, under extreme conditions, um, it's the lesser of two evils between um, someone dying. And someone um, losing a, you know losing a limb completely from the damage the tourniquet is going to cause, but ultimately it's going to save that person from bleeding out so so uh, it's great to see that, that these tourniquets are making their way over there, and it's great to see that the the applications and the drills and the practice uh, very important, the practice and the knowledge and the application is being applied. Uh, with the tourniquets that these guys are receiving and training uh, from the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian volunteers. Because I, I remember seeing very early on back in March um, that there were some there were a bunch of different combat medics going around to the newly formed territorial defense brigades and some of the volunteers to just give them that instruction, right? When, when to use it, when it's critical, when you don't, when do you not need it? Um, But you know, these things save lives. And uh, you know, if if you're faced with few choices um, and you can't control the bleeding, well, if you don't control the bleeding, there's, there's little else you can do. So they're absolutely critical, absolutely time sensitive and critical. um, And it's great to have these and uh, they practice with them. You know, there, there's regular drills to practice with it, um, how to use it under which circumstance. You know, there's also different diameters for them because, you know, some people are larger. So if you try to fit this around the leg of someone that's a lot bigger, you might need uh, a longer version of it. But that's exactly why the, the drills help establish the users of how to use them, um, some things they might not intend when trying to apply it. Because it all it seems simple. The concept is very simple. Um, but practice makes perfect. So
7: thank you. Exactly there needs to be training and it is for but if battlefield rules are a bit different you have to save quickly life you don't know when you'll have medivac and everything but in peacetime people shouldn't apply just to themselves
5: it's uh it's uh you, since you're you're I'm, I'm assuming from your profile you're a medical professional it's it's also akin to the difference of you're you're not going to stock um peacetime ambulances with uh um, with some of the IV bags that, that form intense massive clotting because that, that could kill somebody. Um, but nonetheless, you, you would stock a, a medic bag with those IV bags that cause massive um, massive clotting because that person needs to uh, at that moment needs to control the bleeding first and then deal with the, uh, deal with other injuries that arise as a result of that. So it's same, same concept. you know, you wouldn't use one of those IV bags, in um, peacetime you wouldn't expect uh, someone to, to have that in an ambulance because it might cause you more harm but absolutely useful and critical tools to have on the battlefield because it's a it's quite a bit different situation in terms of the the volume of injuries and the and the severity of injuries
7: yeah on battlefield stop bleed. two key things are stop bleeding and protect airwaves and that's that's where you you just do exactly what you said and you, I mean, uh, I was, I had, uh, I was talking with many people who are covered combat medics. I mean, I'm originally from Croatia, so I was talking with combat medics that were uh, doing that during war in Croatia, and they said that, I mean, that they, 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 they were, they, they, they said uh, most simple and most quick way to stop bleeding and protect airways was was always the key thing to save lives. So. Just that, nothing else matters, just
5: those two things. Thanks, user. Okay, uh, Prince X, or sorry, Prince, uh, I can't read the end. It was 32, That oh. was uh, the Latin year.
4: Thir- 32, that's right. And I am actually, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. And I know that sounds really, really weird. I agree that the use of tourniquets needs to be very judicial. And um, if you're going to carry one, be sure you know where to use them and how to use them. But I think where you live may make a difference in that too. It it comes back to me, um, a memory of a shooting in the summer of 2020 that I watched happen live where a guy's arm was just about blown off. And if he had not had a tourniquet with him and... Um, someone around him knew how to apply it correctly, he would have lost his arm. Um, So I know that there are places in the United States where, um, you know, knowing how to utilize something like that and having one with you is not necessarily a bad thing. And I know that's different in other countries. I would just say, if you feel the need to carry something like that, make sure you know how to use it as a civilian. I mean, you know, as a civilian, because of where I live, I carry Narcan with me because it wouldn't be unusual for me to be driving down the road and see an overdose happen. Um, So I think there are situations where regular everyday individuals should be educated on how to use them and um, feel free to carry them with them because, you know, there are times where in the United States, it may take five or 10 minutes for 911 to even answer. So just um, just a little pushback on that, uh, you know, with the caveat that yes, if you're going to carry one, you'd need to know how and when to use it. But sometimes it isn't necessarily a bad thing for a civilian to carry something like that. So I just just a teeny little pushback on that with a caveat of be educated on it though. So that's that's all I wanted to add.
5: Yeah. I agree. Thanks, uh, I think that's akin to of- Un, under the lines of, you know, we I'm not providing medical advice, right? You, exactly. You use your brain on the situation, but uh, but not not to focus on a peacetime situation because that's not what they're facing. So I don't want to get too lost in the, in the weeds on the on the nuances or semantics of of how they're helpful for us or, or how they could be uh, cautious because hundred uh, percent, bar none, um, they are doing way way more good and way more life saving than than we could ever imagine. Um, and so I don't want to even put one little iota in someone's head that they're uh, they're not a necessity for them and that they're not useful but but thank, oh. thank you
4: yeah. oh absolutely i mean they they are an everyday requirement in ukraine and in a battlefield situation they they are used multiple times a day i'm sure and and we need to support that and we need to get, try to get them over there but just uh just a little just a little push pushback, pushback that's all a kind and gentle pushback
6: uh thank you prince 32. um we are joined by olaf olaf welcome back it's good to have you
8: hi everyone people glad to meet you too uh i heard you speaking about uh, uh tactical medicine uh it's a very very interesting term it's good uh here in ukraine we have some problems with this i mean uh, at least the problem is the fake tourniquets maybe you heard about this in news that uh, some uh, I need I, I believe uh, China companies making them not durable lever in tourniquet and it is breaking when you try to um, uh, to screw it on you uh, and here I have in my uh, with me the good tourniquets like siege and uh, tuck. Uh, Cat Tourniquet, it's American youth Cat Tourniquet combat application. And this one is very good. I mean, using this now mostly and trying to find exactly this thing is very good. And uh, uh, it is not heavy, like some examples. and. Um, uh, it is flexible. If you have a wound in, in leg, like my friend about a month ago, you just can fastly use it. It's very good. And so we have a problem with the fake tourniquet. So that's why we're trying to check any party that we that we get. We uh, learned how to figure out what is a uh, fake tourniquet, how he um, uh, how it looks like. And fortunately, I know the. Uh, the very good man from USA, Patrick Chilu, who is a professional medic, and he uh, give, gave me some knowledge about this. Uh, and in Ukraine, we have a program that he was included in this program is as, uh, as one of the owners. It is a But I remember in the beginning of war in 2014, uh, this program was uh, uh, just started in fourteen or 15, maybe I can mistake, but. Uh, wherever I saw the lessons I wasn't the lessons of this program uh, I'm not uh, a medic but I'm uh, I was I'm an infantryman but uh, that was uh, very intensive course and uh, that was a very um, uh, very advanced course so of uh, course so for now uh, we, till now till this day who know this course who was uh, on the lessons uh, making the good technical medicine uh, have a knowledge and this is good so uh if you need if you want if you're curious about who to support in the medical in the tactical medicine in ukraine i recommend that you firstly support the uh, we have a whole medical battalion uh hospitalier hospitaliers it's like um they're very very good experienced people and uh, if you want to put your forces in something I recommend them to you uh, I met them a few times on the front uh, during this uh, during last years I know they grow and uh, they doing the very good job they are really uh, I'm at least they saying They are only angels that I believe. <laughs> so yes, and I'm here about the 15 minutes. Uh, hi everyone! If you have a questions, uh, you can ask me. Have a good day. I'm here,
5: Olaf. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll take the uh, first question if I may. Yeah, tell us, uh, in very indirect terms, what what have you been up to lately?
8: Oh, for now I can't say anything now because I'm right now I'm in Kyiv. Uh, I'm not at Battlefront now, I'm in my apartment, doing my shit, no, absolutely far from uh, battle. So, I know some situations, but I don't want to speak about this because I haven't seen this already in news, and I don't know, need I to say the stuff. Uh, Anti Ruko, Auntie, come on. Hello, hello, greetings. Hello, my Soma and bro. Hey,
2: hey, 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 hey. So, uh... The, the one one question i had uh, on my mind is that uh, ba- based on uh, what you have seen and without getting into any any operational security issues is that do you think that there is a good balance between uh, uh, creating new uh, reserve forces from uh, fresh recruits and versus uh, re- reinforcing uh, and keeping uh, the current formations in in battle uh, uh, in uh, in a state of uh, good effectiveness if you, if you understand my question
8: yes I understand you it is a uh, by the way uh, you just give some concrete please you're speaking about the Finland or Ukraine Ukraine uh, Ukraine military. Ukraine okay okay uh, for now uh, for this moment I think uh, we need to using both of the of the systems but uh, appearing on the situation in the concrete regiment, because uh in some uh, regiments they have the enough of reservists to be mo- mobilized uh, in the moment if they need it some regiments just have no enough uh, reservists in the count and they need to mobilize more people another question uh, it is about the uh, armor, uh, it's about the uh, personal weapon and armory itself uh, is it is it enough because if you mobilize the people and they're just wasting time uh, maybe maximum that they can uh, do in the make some fit and uh, if they have the at least one a k they just can uh, can be trained to carry a k and uh, clean the gun you know so it depends on situation depends on the uh exactly uh things that happened or need to be happened and you know, i think uh we need to use both of the systems but rationally uh on the moment when it is necessary and um uh about the situation in kiev for example here is a lot of people and uh, i mean young people who can serve but uh, I think not much more than 50% of them, the half of them, uh, uh, standing on the balance in uh, in some regiments, you know. <clears throat> so, better to charge people to at least to get the concrete space, you know, to make uh, to make a decision to be in the regiment or just to live a civilian life.
2: Right. So you you still. Uh... As far as you know, there's still enough uh, experienced uh, personnel uh, to to be able to uh, instruct the new new recruits on uh, how to stay alive on the front. So it's it's also, in part, it's a question of uh, getting just uh, enough uh, assault rifles, light machine guns and uh, all, all the other uh, kit for them.
7: Uh,
8: when you're mobilizing someone you uh, can't uh every time uh check the fact is the is this uh uh experienced one because uh a lot of uh, volunteers research from the beginning of the war just have no uh have no place in balance uh like me for example i'm uh i have a how about to say i, I don't even know how to explain this bureaucracy uh nuance about this stuff uh my health is fine is fine but uh i'm epileptic you know and uh, that was very difficult to go to the legal uh, to, to the regular forces that's why i go firstly to the volunteer battalion in 2015 because they was like wider for us okay so i'm fine I, i'm doing my shit i'm not suffering from epilepsy or something like this um uh my life is not really changed uh, in this way, uh, beside the wounding in 2015, but well, wherever. So sometimes, uh, we have very good warriors, uh, but on the documents they disable for serving, but they serving, serving very well. I know a lot of people like this, but uh, this is the back of our system that we have from a Soviet times. So when you have a have a uh, Massive of people uh, that need to be mobilized or, or already mobilized, and you need to recruit them in exactly some uh, regiment. You just can ask. Firstly, uh, who who are have a uh, some battle experience or served in some professional have a, a like in American army MOS uh, in Ukrainian it is V O S uh and what uh, number of v- OS <laughs> do they uh, have and uh just appear on these facts of professional uh abilities. Uh you just can on them in the moment where you recruiting them in this moment, you just can figure it out who is who is the veteran, who is the rookie one and things like that.
2: Yes, yes, naturally. Uh could I still ask a few questions? I, I don't see any other hands up for now.
6: Yeah, there's no other no. hands up, Olaf, if you're good on time.
2: Yeah, okay. So uh, recently in the, uh, the there was a lot, a lot of reporting on uh, quite uh, heavy casualties also on the Ukrainian side for, in the battle of, for uh, Severodonetsk. Uh, w- were you personally uh, concerned about the uh, rate of casualties in the Ukrainian forces dur- during that battle?
8: I'm sorry. I lost the beginning of the question. I heard on the last part about that Battalion uh, of Sovr, Donetsk, etc. Please repeat the question.
2: Right. So the uh, the casualties uh, on the Ukrainian side. Were you worried that uh, about about the the casualty casualty rate in, oh, in the battle?
8: For real? For now, I don't know the casualty rate. Seriously. Right. Uh, I know only my personal losses. The people that I know. From the national guardsmen and from some uh, uh, rifle battalions uh, on the place, but uh, I have no the full numbers. Sorry.
2: Yeah, right. Of course, of course. Uh, We've we've been getting some uh, very good news about the uh, the HIMARS being uh, used effectively. Oh, yes. at the front yes. uh, so uh what what are you ha, have you heir- heard uh, good news about those and uh, what do you think about the uh these systems
8: um firstly uh, about the systems uh, as we see uh, from a battlefront uh, we already using them very successfully and uh, kind of uh, this system is very good uh, and uh, our whom our artillery crews who working with them are very smart, as you see from the news. They are doing the very good shots. I'm surprised because I like, for me, for like just just as as a realist, I just from the first time I thought uh, like first shots might be shitty, but uh, then I see uh, they are working very well, and the, this modern weapon is more capable than uh, <laughs> than older one, of course. And, I just hope we uh, we can uh, bring some, um, how to say, more tactical rockets for for the system.
2: Right, more more different kinds of ammunition with uh, more effectiveness and range.
6: Aren't you or excuse me, Olaf, are you there?
5: Uh, Mic check. I can hear you, John, but I think he uh, dropped. It looks like he's speaking. yeah. Looks like. Okay, I just pushed Olaf down. We'll uh, Olaf, give us an invite. Um, we'll 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 pull you right back up here. Give us a a shout and we'll get you right back up. okay while we wait for olaf to get back uh welcome for Lane. uh we just had olaf here was answering some questions with auntie but uh, he just dropped off so we're pulling him back
4: yeah hi guys i'm good to see you back in
2: the panel i actually was there during uh, joseph's uh, shift but he apparently I- i'd never um, met me in <laughs> on spaces so he uh had no clue who i am so it was actually very funny <laughs> It really, he, he just dropped me down and said, like, we have a like pool panel. I was like, okay, <laughs> Joseph, if you're here, uh, like, um, it's good to be back with, uh, with the crew. Um, John, hi, Gani. um, Antti, Mina. I see a lot of people who, like, Jiro, Axel is listening, Jacob. I have a lot of people here, like, in the first.
6: Oh, we just lost for learning, of course. Ah, uh, this is why we can't have nice things. Oh my
2: God! So it's it's like a every we have a, every time we have a you create genuine uh, U- Ukrainian uh, on the panel. Uh, there's a conspiracy in the Twitter space to uh, to remove them.
6: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure whoever the CEO of Twitter is a, is a GRU asset at this point. There's no way to explain that.
2: Yeah, but w- were you here? Uh, I think it was yesterday when uh, Walter was talking about a. Uh, uh ukrainian one Ukrainian who was mass reported by Russian bots and uh his account was uh was uh frozen.
6: yeah, I'd heard about reports like that. The thing that I don't understand is I don't know how like the twitter like reporting algorithm works because like some i t people from Twitter have like come out and said like at the beginning of the war, the same thing happened. a bunch of like Ukrainian activists got essentially got their accounts suspended or banned. And Twitter like publicly came out and said that like the algorithm does not work based
4: upon the volume of reports. Oh, so and Olaf! Had... Uh...
6: Oh, Olaf! Welcome back, my friends.
4: Please. Oh uh, yeah.